Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oui, Métis. Welcome back, everybody, to The Time Is Now. Silent Green is people. I'm your host this week, Carl Sweeney, and I'm here to talk all about Broken World, which is the 20th episode of Season 1 of Millennium. And joining me today is Adam Silver, uh, making his first appearance on the podcast. Hi, Adam. Hi. Nice to speak to you, Carl. Yeah, nice to speak to you too, Adam. First order of business for any new guest is... They have to undergo the, millenn- the five Millennium Group initiation questions, Adam. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> uh, and the first one is, let's head into it. So the first one is, Adam, how did you discover Millennium? Um, I watched from the pilot episode. I was a big fan of the X-Files, of course. So uh, I wanted to see uh, what else Chris Carter was going to do. And uh, I take it, I mean, the fact that you're here would indicate you were pretty, <laughs> sat- <laughs> pretty satisfied. You think it's a great show, yeah? Oh, yeah. The, the pilot blew me away and I've watched every week since then. Good stuff, good stuff. So, question two is, what is your favorite episode of the series? Uh, it might be Lamentation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that's a good one, just because it introduces Lucy Butler and um, really brings season one to a crescendo, I think. kind of takes the show to a, the next level, where it sort of confirms that real evil exists, not just sort of serial killers, but that there is sort of demonic force out there and you know they it kills frank black's best friend fletcher and uh you know it's really a shocking moment in the series so um but i mean the obviously the time is now is pretty classic as well so it would be pretty close between those two i think i'd say lamentation yeah i actually chose the time is now but i love lamentation as well mm-hmm. and i think for such a dark series that episode though is genuinely like disturbing and harrowing isn't it it's yes just full-on isn't it it's really intense okay so i guess the next question is i i think a very revealing one about millennium fans millennium viewers what is your favorite season of course we all know the series changes quite dramatically yeah which one um is best for you again it's kind of similar uh it's pretty close for me between season one and season two i think i have to agree that season two is the overall best in terms of consistent quality of, of episodes but i really love season one yeah uh, i uh i mean i like the show a lot, a lot of people sort of really like the show coming into season two but um i liked what season one did and uh, even some of what season three did too so can you understand why some people feel like season two 
was a bit of a too much of a departure from the what the show originally was, you know, because Morgan and Wong come in with these esoteric ideas and things. And it obviously didn't sit well with all of you, but you, you kind of get why people feel that way, yeah? Yeah, I share, I share some of those same feelings. I think, um, I think it was probably too radical a departure from season one, but I mean, again, just, there are so many great episodes in season two yeah. that it kind of makes up for it. But I mean, the, the overall, what they did, yeah, I think it was, it was too much, but, um, you know, again, we have so many great episodes like Time is Now and Luminary and Mikado, you know. <laughs> that's why yeah. I, that's why I'd have to say season two is the best, even if I have, uh, if I love everything that they did as far as the, the mythology of the show. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, assessment of things. Uh, question four is, who is your favorite character from Millennium? Besides Frank Black, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> well, yeah, I'm curious because... Uh, you know, I've I've only heard um, the very first episode of the podcast as we record this, but I'm just wondering if it's going to be every week people say Frank Black, but who knows? <laughs> but yeah, well, you can you can pick him if you want. It's up to you. I think your favorite character has to be uh, Frank Black, but I mean, if I if I get to choose a besides Frank Black, I would say possibly as far as a recurring character, I would say maybe Emma Hollis. Yeah. Although I don't think you know she got to d- develop as much as. Um, uh, she could have, and she could have been a really great character. But I, I would, I would have said Peter Watts, except that it would be like which Peter Watts? It would it be like season one Peter Watts? <laughs> yeah, season two Peter Peter Watts. So you'd have to, you know, it's sort of a different character in, in each season. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. And we'll, well, we'll talk briefly, uh, I suppose, about season one Peter Watts uh, today. I think, uh, and lots of great moments in Millennium. Do you ha- can you pick a favorite individual moment, whether it's a scene or an exchange of dialogue or you know whatever? So what's a f- what's your favorite moment from the series? This is a hard one. Yeah. Um, it is a hard one. Uh, mm. I will go with probably I'll say I'll say the end of of the time is now, but that is pretty stark. Um, uh, great stuff there. You know, broadcast. <laughs> That's uh, that's pretty memorable. Sticks out. So, so what do you think about the way they kind of walked that back at the beginning of season three, where you know it wasn't as bad as we thought it was, and you know all, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a difficult thing for them to get out of. So I see that, but it wasn't it wasn't handled well. Um, it was it was handled better when they got to the sound of snow, like sort of mid season. Yeah. They started actually started addressing those things and they sort of did a course correction there, but they, the way they started out season three just didn't, didn't work. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Adam. So, I mean, you're in, you're in the group. Well done. (laughs) All right. I didn't have to cut my hand. So yeah, no, no, you've passed with flying colors. So it's not necessary. (laughs) So yeah, we can move on to talk a bit about broken world. Yeah, so Broken World, uh, written by Robert Moresco and Patrick Harbinson, directed by Winrick Kolb. And this, of course, is the episode in which Frank travels to North Dakota to try and catch a man who may be moving from mauling horses to attacking and murdering people. All right, Adam, so yeah, uh, marks out of 10 for this one and overall thoughts. Do you like this one? I do. I do like it. I, I don't think... 
the episode itself is that great, like in terms of sort of plot and you know, and you know, do I want to watch it all the time? Sort of, but I think it's a really interesting episode. Like the issues that it brings up are really interesting. Um, so out of ten, I'd probably give it a seven point five. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle of the on this one. Uh, I'd be like a five or a six. I think in in itself, I don't think it's a great episode. But I do think there's like the basis here for something that could have been a bit more interesting. But I'm not sure if the promising elements ever fully develop. I'm not sure they ever fully run with them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I we will talk about it. I think there are a few poor choices along the way. But kind of middle of the road, kind of middle of the pack for season one is is what I feel. Is that you think that's about fair? Right. It wouldn't make any best of lists, I don't think. A bit of background on the episode. So... The episode received something, I I don't know what this is, but called a Genesis Award uh, from the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, It's been compared to Peter Schaeffer's play from the 1970s called Equus, which I'm not not familiar with uh, overly. I'm only familiar with the play by reputation, but I believe it involves a young man with a fixation about horses, like a pathological fixation about horses. So yeah, what, what do you make of the whole animal um, aspect here? Because I believe you're a bit of an animal lover yourself, Adam. Is that right? I am. I'm a I'm a vegetarian. I'm a big uh, anti sort of factory farming person. Like a lot of these, uh, yeah. You know, I believe strongly that animals that you know we raise for food are not treated very well, and so I identify with some of the issues brought up here with that, and also. You know, it is a truism that serial killers often start with, you know, killing mutilating animals before they graduate to humans. So this was an interesting topic for Millennium to bring up, um, you know, because it's, it's very relevant to um, how serial killers operate and um, to see, you know, so it's an interesting idea to have Frank trying to um, prevent someone from becoming becoming a, a serial killer before before it happens by identifying these kind of animal mutilations and killings as the work of, you know, a escalating serial killer. Yeah, I think that might be part of my problem with the episode is I think that's interesting enough as an idea that they could have extended that for the whole episode, if that makes sense, where you get to the end mm-hmm. of the episode and he still hasn't killed a person yet and that, that sort of becomes the climax but obviously it goes a slightly different way, doesn't it? Uh, but we'll talk more about, that, more about that as we go on. Right. IMDB, have you seen the IMDB score for this episode? If not, do you want to hazard a guess as to what it is? Um, yeah, I didn't look. Um, I don't know. I would say probably around with the 7.5. Kind of like I gave it. Kind of fiddling. Yeah, so close. <laughs> so close. Uh, 7.4. Oh, nice. Uh, 7.4 out of 10 from about 200 ratings. Which is interesting, because I know when we look on the X-Cast, uh, you know, the episodes normally have a couple of thousand ratings, but Millennium's much more of a niche interest, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, equals 16th, that makes it for the first season, if you line up the the ratings top to bottom. So, yeah, you reckon equal 16th, something like that, you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. Not in the top, you know, top half, but in, you know... Not in the yeah. the bottom five, but yeah, somewhere in, be- in between those. Somewhere, somewhere in that mid zone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Adam. So with that said, let's take a closer look at Broken World. Yeah, so we got a 
teaser, don't we? So it's quite nice and stylized, isn't it? We've got this farmland mm-hmm. in North Dakota, woman on horseback. You know, the score is quite kind of melodic and <laughs> lilting until it gets to nighttime, doesn't it? Because then, you know, it's a stable. You know, all this stuff where the woman hears a noise. Right. Fi- finds the injured horse. Eventually the man, you know, comes up behind her and so on. Uh, and stuns her, you know. So so what do you make of the teaser sequence? It, it, it's interesting because you, uh, you know, going into the episode not uh, knowing anything, you know, you, you obviously don't expect it to be an animal that's killed to, and then for, you know, a human not to be killed. So, you know, it's it's interesting in that regard. Yeah, and it's interesting that we don't learn... You know, when the teaser ends, you can just assume that the woman is dead, can't you? Or she, she, he, right. she will, she will be killed. So, kind of an interesting spin on it that actually she survives the attack. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if that would have had more impact if we learned it in the teaser. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know whether it's better to have the the surprise or not. Um, but again, like the first the first thing we see is you know dead horse. So, yeah, uh, I guess it. Basic question: Whether it was the you know the horse just killed the, the happenstance thing, or you know was that the target? Yes, I mean, seeing as we're talking about horses here, you know, what what do you think they represent? Because I think they they must mean something very different, you know, in, to, for U.S. viewers to U.K. viewers. Because whenever I see a horse on screen, I'm thinking about like you know, the upper the upper classes and stuff. But I mean, in the U.S., I guess it's much more, you know, associations with the Wild West and freedom and all this. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the sort of the manifest destiny, that sort of uh, you know yeah. expansion of the of the the land. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's um, as associated with the upper class in in America. Yeah. It's more of a, it's more of that ideal of of uh, that you know Western Western ideal. Yeah. So we get the. You know the quote that starts the that comes after the credit sequence is "Man is the cruelest animal" uh, from Frederick Nietzsche, and we see Frank Black driving into this uh, location, pulled over by the sheriff. Sheriff, you know, it's the kind of standard thing you see in a few few Millennium episodes where uh, the sheriff doesn't think Frank's presence is necessary, right? You know, yeah. because the horse is dead, but the woman is still alive. <laughs> Frank right, wants yeah. Frank wants to see the crime scene anyway and he says you know we're witnessing the birth of a psychosexual killer and it's like you said that is quite an interesting approach isn't it because we're used to seeing killers in millennium who are kind of in full swing but right. yeah to te- to get one who's kind of in on the turn mm-hmm. you know is a is a, a fascinating idea isn't it yeah and, and frank's actually uh hoping to to actually talk him out of it to like stop it um you know, uh, not just catch him, but actually stop him from becoming a serial killer. So it's, it's, uh, I know that, um, when I listened to the, the primer of this yeah. the other day that, um, John Kenneth Muir, uh, he, he speaks to about Frank's sort of, you know, his gift kind of comes from his extreme empathy. And, you know, that's how he's able to sort of connect with these serial killers. And, um, you know, that this might be a, a showing that here a little bit that you know he's he's able to see this um, madness begin to develop, and that's why he wants to come out and and actually stop him from escalating it. Yeah, and I think I mean it's later on, but I think the character of Claudia talks about Frank's empathy at one point when they have a they have a cup of coffee together in the bar, mm-hmm. and I think she says. Um, 
you feel sorry for this man or something. But Frank is, Frank kind of won't be drawn on that at the time. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, yeah, so he talks to the woman's husband at this crime scene. You know, you know, all about the killer being aroused by the horse's death uh, and, and stuff like this. There's a bridal missing uh, from the stable, mm-hmm. uh, which he thinks is part of the fantasy. I thought it's quite, you know, the, the farmer gets mad, doesn't he? You know, uh, people make it up to that kind of thing in San Francisco and all this, this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just just the kind of difference, showing the difference between, I guess, these these rural people, I suppose, is, is kind of what they're hinting at there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it goes to that uh, that, that idea that, um, you know, the stuff that, as I said, things that they think only happen in cities are encroaching yeah. into these more rural areas, like these kinds of these kinds of evil that they haven't seen before coming, you know, whether that's true or not, but you know, that, that that's the feeling that they, they think that these, these, these evils from, you know, the, the cities are, are now encroaching into their, their small communities. Yeah. Which the series obviously plays around with uh, mm-hmm. on, on various occasions in different right. episodes. Uh, so Frank talks to the vet who's Claudia called Claudia about the other horse attacks. I like this scene actually. Where you know she kind of calls Frank out for his lack of interest in the animals, doesn't she? And right, yeah, I, th- I thought it was quite an interesting little exchange because, to be fair, she does have a point, really, doesn't she? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree um, because you know the uh, I think she says, well, you know, nobody cared about all these horse attacks before, you know. Um, so I mean, I yeah, I mean, as uh, with with my beliefs, yeah, I definitely agree. It's like this this person was worth worth stopping prior to you know yeah the uh, potential attack on human because i mean uh, of all the uh, the horse deaths yeah and i think frank seems to kind of take that on board you know somewhat doesn't he because he, he is quite tender then with the horse he strokes it quite nicely and right. it seems like he maybe has thought about that when he talks to claudia later on you know but i, mm-hmm. I really liked her actually so claudia yeah played by an actress called joe anderson yeah i agree yeah, I thought she looked a little like a young Julianne Moore, but I, I really liked her performance, actually. Probably one of the highlights of the episode for me. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that, that, uh, uh, she, does, she does have that look. And yeah, I like, I like the character. I like um, um, yeah. what, what she brings to the episode. And she wasn't too kind of preachy, I didn't think. She obviously had very strong beliefs, but sometimes when you see like right. animal, animal lovers or animal activists in TV series, they come across as being quite... Um, kind of caricatures don't they you know kind of one note but no she she was a nice exception to that i thought yeah yeah definitely i i agree she's her part is well written okay so we see season one peter watts don't we um (laughs) yeah so always good to see terry o'quinn but i guess season one peter watts was a bit less um well defined he was very good at what he did but you know, he seemed more functional than anything else. Do you think that's fair, or, or, or what? Yeah, yeah. He was really just—he was really there to represent the Millennium Group, not really to, uh, you know, as, as in the group yeah. that catches serial killers. Like he's—he's he's really there to just help. As as far as that, he doesn't really develop uh, much more character than that in the uh, in the first season. Yeah. So uh, there's this kind of briefing scene, isn't there, for where Frank provides a bit of a profile on the killer. You know, uh, for a few brief moments, he had something he's never had before, um, but he's hesitating before moving on to the next stage. And yeah, I guess this is my issue in the sense that I think this could have been a very good episode if the whole thing had been this killer hesitating before moving on. But do you think there was enough dramatic potential there to kind of string it out 
more than they did, or do you think it had to kind of move through the gears like it, this episode ultimately does? Yeah, it, it, I think you're right because it does it does like eventually get to a standard Millennium episode, and that makes it a, little, a bit more a bit less interesting than than yeah those issues that are first brought up. Uh, but yeah. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, it's all about, you know, Frank trying to reach the killer on a personal level and so on which Peter Watts thinks is risky. Uh, what, what did you make of... So we got that scene in the bar, don't we? You know, where the guys are there talking about the killer. You know, they don't know that it's Willie who's amongst them. But what did you think of th- these kind of townsfolk and the depiction of this town? Because this is what? This is North Dakota. But it's that it's the kind of Midwest kind of depiction of people that you see in film and TV, isn't it? Did it kind of ring true to you? Or did you feel they were a bit kind of unconvincing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't... I haven't been to North Dakota, so I don't know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's more yeah, it's more of a it's more of a representation. It's more you know, it's more of a representation of rural versus yeah, particular yeah. state or anything. But yeah, it's that's you know. Yeah. Okay, so we see Willie played by Van Quattro. So yeah, so Frank has actually placed this. Uh, Add in the paper or something, hasn't he? Uh, kind of a hotline. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie actually, yeah, so he's hesitating. So he's going to ring the sheriff's office, but he doesn't go through with the call. And then it's the scene, isn't it? This is where he stuns the pig. Yeah, because no one answers, right? Yeah, so they could have maybe, you know, nipped it all in the bud if they'd have picked up or whatever. But yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But then we get the nighttime scene where Willie stuns the pigs through the gap in the trailer. Then he sort of, the old guy comes along, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. And, uh, I think what one thing I like, I mean, it's, you know, in this episode is when Frank and Peter are at the crime scene, you know, you always get a sense that Frank's a very shrewd investigator, don't you? Because he, he straight away, the, the sheriff's like, you know, oh, we've got an explanation for this. This ha- this happens several times a year. But it's just a nice little beat, isn't it, where Frank notices these discrepancies, discrepancies with the tracks that have been laid. and Right. And it's interesting here because this is the, I mean, this is the first person that the killer kills and it's not really his, uh, you know, his his desired victim but i guess it gives him the because he's able to do that finally kill someone he it, it gives him the the gumption to, to move on and do what he actually wants to do and then another scene that i liked is the one in the bar which i think i've already referred to but it's where frank buys claudia a cup of coffee right you know and they have a nice little exchange i think all the stuff about horses are often a girl's first love and this stuff about the trust horses have in people so right. yeah, I like this stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, um, I think this is the part where you know she talks about how um, 
you, you know, these animals, you know, not just horses, but, you know, like cows or whatever, they are trusting of humans all the way up until the point where, you know, they, they're killed, where, you know, yep. um, a full gun, you know, is inserted into their head. And um, I think this first gives Frank the idea that, you know, he might be working in a slaughterhouse because he, yep. he says something like, uh, you know, I, I know why they aren't scared of him or something like that. Yeah, that's right. He works out, yeah, like you said, a slaughterhouse and also that he's been using a stun gun and stuff like this. Right. Uh, and then we get that scene at the farm where there's a woman who I think we later learn she's called Marianne, but I don't think we know that yet, but she's tending to the horse when Willie turns up. And, you know, you can tell he's uneasy. You know, he sort of talks about watching her ride and we get these slow-mo shots from his point of view of her stroking the horse and everything. Right. But I, I was kind of wondering what you think about this actor who plays Willie then, Van Quattro. What, what did you make of his performance? Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I think it's adequate. It's not, yeah. really, the, it's not really one of the uh, fantastic performances of the series, but it's just, you know, it's sort of a, sort of a typical Millennium serial killer of this, of this first season. Yeah, but adequate. Yeah, I think that maybe it needed something a bit more to sort of bring this episode up a little, a notch or two more, if that makes sense. Right. Especially because by the end of the episode, he gets a bit more demonstrative and stuff, doesn't he? So he, right. There are a few things he needs to do, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, kind of like the episode as a whole, like we've already said, it's like, it's a lot more, the issues it brings up are a lot more interesting than the actual execution of the episode. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the key thing here is that, you know, although he makes to leave, ultimately he can't resist. He says something like a man can't fight what he is and all this kind of thing. And, you know, we get some stuff with Frank and the local police and Peter Watts and so on. And, yeah, it turns out a call came into the county hotline. The guy wanted to talk to Frank uh, and they play him a message, you know, tell me, Frank, where to, what next? So, yeah, Frank realizes he's acted again, doesn't he? And we see Willie kind of shirtless outside the farm building as the woman... Uh, is hanging upside down. I think we see a, uh, a shot of her, her feet and so on. So, I mean, do you think this is, I mean, one of the things with Millennium, I guess it's tough doing a serial killer show, you know, week in, week out, because quite often you're accused of being a bit exploitative. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be quite tricky to make sure you're not kind of lingering on these crimes in a way that's kind of reveling in the suffering right. and so on. And I know, I know, like, for instance, um, I read Darren Mooney's review of this episode and he felt the episode was a bit exploitative in that respect. But what, mm. what do you think, Adam? Do you think it sort of crosses that line, or do you think it balances those concerns well enough, or, or what? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I didn't I didn't really get that feeling with this. I mean, isn't... Uh, maybe I'm not re- remembering the scene in full, but doesn't the scene um, focus more on the killer and his reaction versus, like, the, the, the woman's body? Like, I don't think we really see it, do we, in this we see the feet hanging upside down, but we don't really see her. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know what he he means by um, yeah, what part is exploding, exploding the uh, the victim, or I'm not sure. But I didn't really get that feeling when I was watching the episode. Not as much as I would maybe some other episodes. Yeah, I'm not sure he was talking about this scene in particular. Uh, to be fair, but we can maybe pick up a bit on this later as we get towards the end of the uh, you know uh, the climax of the episode, but. Yeah, so the next day, there's the crime scene, you know, we see that Thank You's been written in blood on the wall, there's another dead horse, and this thing Frank says about how he treated the woman as if she were a piece of meat from the slaughterhouse, uh, and so on. 
And yeah, this is the point. So I think this is when the call comes in for Frank and they actually do speak, isn't it? Frank and Willie. So Frank tries to reason with him. So yeah, did you like this kind of um, direct personal contact between Frank and the killer? That uh, obviously it starts here and it continues a bit later too. Yeah, I do. I do think that's an interesting part of the episode that he's he's talking to the killer directly and and trying to sort of and, and says you'll never be you weren't completely satisfied with this you'll never be satisfied by it. Um, so he is sort of trying to. Uh, still get to him um even though he's he's already crossed the the line but you know he's he's trying i I think it does um show um how frank is able to relate to these serial killers um not in uh you know just being under uh, truly understanding their psychology versus just being able to track them you know that 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 sort of sort of typical detective stuff, but it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. So I I do think that that um, is an interesting facet. Yeah, and what what do you make of the whole thing just after that? Then so we get the scene with Claudia talking with Frank in the car, don't we? Where it's like, how do you do this? How do you explain to your family what you do and what you see? And Frank just kind of says, you know, I don't, and that's that's kind of the end of it. I had a look at a couple of the reviews of this episode that came up online, and a few people sort of said maybe this episode feels a bit out of place. Like, it feels like the kind of story you would have got earlier in the first season. And, I don't know, that kind of exchange between Claudia and Frank, it does seem to me like we've heard Frank say that kind of thing to other people in other episodes a fair few times. Do you know what I mean? But, do you know what, do you think this episode feels like it's kind of uh, an early season throwback that just happens to be at the end of the season kind of thing? Um, well, yeah, I agree that that, that sort of dialogue is not really doesn't really add anything to the episode. That's not really what the episode is about, so it's just sort of thrown in there. But how, how do you how do you do this? You know, yeah. that's that's not really a part of, of what the episode is, is trying to, to say other, uh, otherwise. Yeah, and it's interesting, of course, that we don't see Catherine or Jordan at all in this episode, I think, do we? Um, there was always this issue with Millennium, wasn't there, especially in season one of, like, how do you successfully incorporate Catherine into the drama? And right. There are times when they just can't find a place for her, which is a shame, isn't it? Right. Yeah, well, you know, when he's, he's in North Dakota and not Seattle, then, you know, yeah. it's going to be kind of hard for them to be in it, I guess, unless you have, like, a sort of the phone call or... scene where they went home. Yeah, a phone call or, you know, a scene later in the episode where he's gone home. But, you know, uh, I think that's an overall problem, not particularly a problem with this episode. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's what I feel, too, It's that... You sort of criticize, you can criticize the series as a whole for that, but right. there are in, individual episodes. I think you have to cut a bit more slack. It's just a shame that, you know, I think Megan Gallagher's good. I like to see her when possible. But, uh, obviously season two is coming up, listeners, so she gets a bit more, um, right. more interesting scenes to play there, I guess. Um, so that Frank makes this breakthrough when he notices the foals being taken to the slaughterhouse. And I mean, this was interesting, actually. This was good knowledge, uh, I picked up. Didn't know any of this about, pregnant mare's urine and all this kind of thing. Yeah, it's, uh... I, I think this is, uh... one of the biggest points in the episode where it is trying to be, sort of, um, make us question how we treat animals and, you know, the sort of, um, factory line yeah. use of them. The fact that these, yeah, like you said, these mares are kept pregnant in order to produce, um, 
estrogen and uh, you know their their foals are immediately taken go to the slaughterhouse I mean it's it, you know that it, it, it points that out and then it relates to as you said Frank has a breakthrough of like maybe the killer was raised on one of these farms it sort mm-hmm. of points to that you know maybe this sort of depraved indifference that he was raised with with animals maybe that's why it wasn't too hard to have that with humans yeah and i think that i'm slightly like i like i said i i I do like the character of claudia so i was slightly disappointed that she ends up being kind of in danger endangered in peril and so on right Uh, i wonder if that might have been one of the things darren was talking about in his review for instance that yeah, the most engaging character in the episode, you know, other than Frank, uh, in my opinion, was kind of reduced to this. It seemed a little—I don't know if cheap, but a bit kind of straightforward, which was a shame. I thought, yeah, yeah. I mean, the yeah, the, the episode it gets sort of lazier as it goes on, like a bit more. It gets a bit more um, less and less interesting um, as, as it goes on towards this towards this end, which is, you know. Yeah, it, it 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 gets it becomes a bit ho hum um, from the middle on. Yeah, I agree actually because I felt that that you know we get this stuff at the slaughterhouse, don't we? Because that's where she's been taken. And on one level, it's fairly evocative stuff because you know we get some suspense. You know, we see the meat hooks hanging and the big slabs, and it it does feel kind of ominous, you know. Mm-hmm. So on one level, it's pretty effective, but yeah, I think. On another, I think you are right. It is a bit ho hum, a bit rote. Um, I wasn't exactly on the edge of my seat, even though I wanted to be. If that makes sense, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, what did you think of the final confrontation between Willie and Frank? Then, so it's all this stuff where he starts ranting about <laughs> what's one more horse, and some meat's useful, some meat ain't, and all that kind of stuff. And it seemed like he was almost a different character. I mean, I know, I know the point is that he's um, he's the character is changing, but he's come a long way in the kind of forty-five minute runtime. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree. Um, it's uh, as you said. Th- yeah, this ending it, it kind of feels forced. It kind of feels um, yeah a bit like okay, we have to get to this you know kind of ending. Um, so it's going to take place here. It's, the killer's going to sound like this, you know, as I said, it, it, it's a big incongruent with you know, the rest of the episode. Yeah. So what, what do you make of, um, this thing where the horse actually comes to Frank's rescue, right? you know, and tramples Willie. So I guess they're not as trusting as we, as we first thought then, you know, <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a little cheesy. It's a little, you know, as much as like, yeah, I want to be, uh, I'm perfectly happy with the guy being trampled by horses. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a little cheesy what happens it is it runs the risk of being unintentionally funny at points that final scene which is a shame because you know i think there was some real promise here and i mean there's still some good stuff like we like we yeah. said it, it makes it seem a little bit too much like this is the this is the revenge of the animals on yeah. <laughs> this guy you know it's a little yeah. it, it's a little too much like that yeah it kind of downgrades the uh you know the the sort of legitimate and um, thought-provoking talk um, earlier in the episode. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. So, the final scene then, we're back to that kind of idyllic look we had at the beginning of the hour. You know, on the farmland and stuff. Frank's leaving town, he drives up to talk to Claudia. 
I thought it was interesting. We find out that Frank rides horses, don't we, here, which was interesting, but I don't think we ever see him on horseback <laughs> at any point in the series. No. Uh, and then he drives off to chase another human monster on another day, I suppose. And yeah, you know, a nice little capper, a nice little end scene for a middle of the road episode, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, again, it's, it's sort of a, again, it seems kind of forced or it just seems kind of like, uh, a tip, a typical ending or something that was just sort of tacked on. Um, yeah. because again, it's not really what the episode is about that, that Frank's, you know, uh, it, it just seems like it's part of a different episode or other episodes, like you said, other episodes that had it or were more appropriate to yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. So before we, uh, wrap up for today, Adam, we'll just have a, I had a couple of comments come in, uh, via the Yellow House, which is the Millennium Podcast fan group on Facebook. So, uh, let's see. So Misha L. German Trout said, I remember that I felt very sorry for the horses. As a teenager, I thought it was heartless to simply use the slaughterhouse as a piece of scenery. I remember that I always waited for Frank to make a clear statement with regard to the suffering of the animals in that episode. Today I think it was handled in a decent and subtle way, and the terror on all levels was obvious enough. So yeah, I think that's right actually, isn't it? Because I think it would have been a bit much and potentially a bit out of character for Frank to kind of sum everything up with a, you know, some kind of heavy-handed statement or something. So I think that's that's fair, isn't it? Yeah, I think the subtle stuff is more effective than the heavy-handed, um, you know, that there was some big statement. I mean, that's kind of what the problem with the latter part of the episode is it gets a bit more heavy-handed um, with its its messaging. Yeah, and then so Michael Little said, this episode is really hard for me to watch because I really loathe animal abuse on all levels. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I uh, um, But I don't think it's... I think because the episode brings up the issues that it does, it's, it makes it better than if it was just random animal killings that had nothing else yeah. to say for, you know, for itself. So even though it, it is hard for me to watch too, um, I, uh, I still, when I watched it, I was like, well, I'm glad people were seeing this because it might cause them to think about some of these issues. Yeah. And like we said at the outset, the, you know, the episode did, uh, receive that award, you know, for that reason. So, uh, yeah, I think most people would probably agree with you on that one. But yeah, right. I mean, Michael, Michael's obviously, you know, completely, it's understandable, I guess, why someone would find the animal stuff here tough to take. Oh, you know? Okay, Adam. So yeah, we'll wrap up there, I think. So, uh, hopefully we'll speak uh, on a podcast uh, again someday. But yeah, where, where can people find you online if they want to, uh, track you down? Um, well, I have a, a Twitter account, which is XF underscore lost episodes. And, um, that is actually the account I now use for the, uh, the X-Files virtual season 12, um, oh, yeah. that, that we did. Um, okay, great stuff. Well, yeah. And people can find me online, uh, on Twitter at CKJ Sweeney and, uh, in the Facebook group, the yellow house, or if you're interested in the X-Files in the X-Cast, uh, basement too. That's it for today, listeners, but until next time on The Time Is Now, always remember, this is who we are. The Time Is Now, a Millennium podcast, was created by Tony Black, who co-produces alongside Kurt North. 
You can find the show on Twitter at the Time Is Now Pod, and on Facebook if you type in the Time Is Now. Plus, we have a Facebook fan group called the Yellow House, full of active Millennium discussion. The Time Is Now is also part of the We Made This Podcast Network at We Made This Pod, alongside a range of popular culture shows about TV, film, music, and beyond, including our sister show, The X Cast, an X Files podcast. For advanced access to The Time Is Now and access to bonus material, consider supporting The XCast and We Made This on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The XCast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash The XCast. You'll find a full range of subscription tiers available. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.